0: Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with host Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up for Air.
1: Hi, good morning, everybody. This is Laurie McDougall, back on Coming Up for Air with my co-hosts, Dominique Simone Levine. Hi, Dominique. How are you doing today? Good morning, Laurie. Hello, everyone. And Kayla Solomon. How are you doing, Kayla?
2: I am quite well. Good morning to everybody. Welcome to our podcast
1: podcast. So today we thought a great topic of discussion would be the concept of control and with substance use disorder control 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 you hear a lot about it. I'm thinking maybe Kayla it was your idea? Why don't you open it up?
2: The reason I think that this is a good topic for us is because there's a lot of angles to come from and we might have to make this more than one podcast. But What I'm noticing is that if your loved one is using substances, one of the dynamics that comes up is the issue of control. And that is how do you, I think I put it that basically there's the prepare element of control. There's the prevent element of control. And then there's the actual making things happen element of control and the anxiety that comes from the desire to, prevent or actually repair or fix whatever's going on. And I think that this is a huge dynamic for people who are dealing with substances. First of all, I think that the person who is using substances also has their own issues of control, that they're not only feeling out of control in the rest of their life, and the one place that they can control is the use. Even though it seems like that's out of control, that's the one place that they focus their control in. And I feel like with those of us who are listening to this podcast, we try to control their behavior. We try to control the environment. We try to control the circumstances. So that's, that I think is a really good place for us to go because it's very repetitive for most of us.
3: Dominique? So I'm, um, I just want to, Ask a little more, Kayla, because there's so many places in craft that we are suggesting you take action, you try things differently. It could be seen that this is controlling behavior as well.
2: I actually think of it as you are looking at yourself in terms of the control. The only actual control that you have over this process is yourself, It is your own emotions, your expectations, your reality, your self-care, the way you communicate, the way you set limits. That is truthfully the only thing that you have any control over. But as soon as you try to start controlling somebody else's behavior, ironically, you become completely out of control. And I also think that it sets up negative dynamics, which, which actually makes things worse. Your intentions are good, but it actually creates more stress, more reactivity, more rebelliousness on the other person's part. And then it sends you into another loop of difficulty. So I think we need to really take this apart. And, and I know Dominic, you had a situation you were thinking about talking about, which I believe will be very helpful.
3: It's, it's a family I've been working with. They're 44-year-old son and sibling. I've got the whole family. I have three three siblings, two fathers, and the mother. And it's methamphetamine. They're very concerned. They're very scared. And no one seems to know much about it. So every so often, they want to get more aggressive in trying to get their son to enter treatment. Mostly To stay housed, which is their real goal here, almost more than the the drugs is to keep him housed. They're very concerned about him being homeless in Maine for absolutely good reason. What they want to do is negotiate with the son to get him to do something very specific. And so they're not lay They're laying out a lot of issues such as we'll take care of your dog if you do this. We won't help you with your housing if you don't do this. They're creating conditions and controls in a way that when they go to present this, I'm very concerned it's going to sound like a a legal negotiation and less about just presenting the information that we have to offer this man. At this point, the young man, is this 44-year-old man, is homeless. Everybody's very scared, and the reaction is to tighten in, close it in, And that sort of control, I'm afraid, is going to send him into an escalation. When he hears this, he's going to say, this is your agenda. It's not mine. It's going to end up quickly turning negative.
1: I see this a lot in REST meetings as well. And I see this as being the the black and white, the absolute. If you do this, we're going to do this. And I also see when there's a lot of absolute like that, it never works out right. Because you're doing this, if if you do this, we're going to kick you out. And then they do it, and then all of your fears come up. It's freezing cold at this point in time in the Northeast. I don't want my loved one to be stuck out in the freezing cold. So I'm going to back down on what I said, which is actually not a good thing to do because basically you're sending the message to your loved one that you're not going to follow through on what you said. I really see a lot of this as well in rest. And oftentimes when it comes to craft, I try and pull them, pull them back and ask them some questions like, are you truly prepared to follow through on the consequences of this? And if not, I would strongly suggest coming up with an alternative plan. Let's inch you closer. Or what consequences could happen that aren't your loved one ending up out in the freezing cold? What are some things that you actually can follow through on? And also, I think what you're talking about too, Dominique, Is this idea that, and I see this a lot in a REST meeting uh, as well, a lot of people come in thinking they're going to do these craft things, right? They're going to implement these craft skills and strategies, and their loved one is going to respond to them the way they want them to respond to it. So they're going to have that immediate positive change and that almost never happens especially when it's being presented as an ultimatum yeah you're setting yourself up for failure is really how i i interpret it and that's a it's a it's a tough thing to untangle but we spend a lot of time in rest meetings like okay what are alternatives what are some other things that you can you can present and we now spend a lot of time okay you've created this plan now expect the plan to not go well right it's not going to go well
3: so this is interesting to me because what happens when you're trying to control the outcome in, in a presentation for treatment And this is really intervention time for this family because they are so scared and he is in trouble. And so I'm afraid if you're controlling the plan, you're limiting the plan, you're leveraging the plan. Then when he says, no, go screw yourself. What are you going to do? You're not going to be able to step away from that because you put so much effort into creating this plan. And that's what we need you to do is if you're really not controlling your loved one then it's his choice whether to accept one of the options or not. And then you say, okay, thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. And you let him go back to his park bench. I
2: mean, it's so difficult,
3: right? Yes. Right.
2: But And remember that the key here is rigidity. Okay. We're talking rigidity. When I think of control, I think of rigidity. It's either or, good or bad, black and white. And, what happens is you put yourself in a box and you put the other person in a box and nobody likes to be in a box. Okay. It feels like, Oh, it's safe in the box and it's not safe out of the box, but it's not, well, that's not how life works. The other thing that I really believe is once you put something out there, well, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. And you don't do this. You have lost all credibility Yeah, and your word means nothing. The other thing is I feel like there's an integrity issue because your word has to, Your behavior has to match your word. So if you really are going to kick that person out and you absolutely will do that, fine, then this is not a control issue. This is just the truth. But if you're going to say that and not be able to do it because of all the factors that Lori talked about, it's cold. The whole point of this is you didn't want them to be homeless in the first place. And you think that for some reason that because you're presenting this, that they are going to say, oh, thank you so much. I've been waiting for this for my whole life. Thank you for presenting this. I'm going to go do that. And you're fabulous for doing it. That's not how this works. It's patience and subtlety and connection is craft to me, which is, I think those are the three hardest aspects of all of this that we have to struggle with. It is so much easier to say, if you do this, I'm going to do that. Except for the fact that that's not how it usually works out. And then you're stuck. And then you've boxed yourself in to being a liar or having to do the thing that you absolutely don't want to do. Or you're strengthening negative patterns within your loved one and
1: yourself. That's what you're doing. You're strengthening these negative patterns. You're doomed to repeat, repeat, repeat. This is how you end up all frustrated. And I give up. I, I give up. And you either end up cutting everything off or... You just get walked over all all the time, over and over and over again. And you get resentful and lead into horrible uh, relationships. And, and nobody benefits from either one of those circumstances, actually.
3: So really, it's about, okay, no. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And that's really all you need to do. The options are on the table. Some are leveraged at this point because they're so desperate. It is a leverage. We will pay for your Airbnb for the 10 days you attend this dual diagnosis outpatient program. That's where we are with this young man. And it's a very controlling thing to do to leverage. And you have to do it very carefully because it really is your agenda and not his. You can't expect a certain outcome.
2: I see it more as an offer rather than leverage. So it's like, If you do this, we will take your dog and we'll pay for an Airbnb. So you're basically, that's part of an offer. But again, the person gets to refuse the offer. To me, it's not about leverage. It's what are you willing to offer? The leverage is if there's a consequence for not doing it. But it's like, if you decide to go do this program, we're happy to do this. We're happy to take your dog. We're happy to pay for an Airbnb, period. And then you have to wait for the response to your offer. And you have to be okay with No. And if somebody says, no, I'm willing to live on a park bench, even though that's not what I want. That's what they're saying. You have to be okay with their choice, which I think is torture. I'm not saying this is easy. It's torture. It's terrible. It's horrifying thinking the winter is coming and my loved one is living on a park bench. But that's their choice.
3: It's torture, It's torture for everyone and I've used what Lori has said several times that she credits Jeff Foote for saying, which is the family has to sit in its own discomfort. I've been trying to get this family to understand that it's uncomfortable for everyone and that what they're going through is not unusual.
1: You know what I find, Dominique? (laughs) I don't know if this will help or not, but I don't use the term of uncomfortableness anymore. I use the term, this is going to cause deep deep pain. What I'm asking or what you're asking yourself to do is to sit with this deep pain and a deep struggle so that they identify. It's much harder, I think, for family members when they're going through everything to think, oh, this isn't this isn't uncomfortableness. This is this is torture. I've changed my vocabulary. And now I say, oh, deep, deep rooted pain. That's what we have to sit through as family members. And it's not easy. And I'll also say, try and identify those moments. Oh, oh, I'm going through it right now. I'm sitting through it. Because I found that like using words like uncomfortable was just too soft, that they weren't able to identify it. It's like, no, this is not uncomfortable. This is someone sticking pins and needles into my body. <laughs> is- right. I have
3: to add that with this family, the 44-year-old man is targeting his family, targeting his mother. I mean, he will bully and belittle and carry on for 10 hours at a pop with texting. And she's just dissolving. She's so upset at the way he's talking to her. And so it's not just the discomfort of the family caused by what's obviously going on, but it's, you know, at 44, he's used to getting a bed and breakfast, you know, and and he's having a real concern about his family being able to step up to the plate and be the target of his resentments why he isn't getting his way. So we're changing a whole lot here in just this little presentation and offer of help. And I can see the whole family having a great deal of difficulty and the difficulty lies in sort of, okay, what if he isn't using, what if it's an organic mental illness? What if, what if, what if, and I'm saying, what are you going to, you're going to stop everything and say, hold it, young man, we're going to test you right now. Right. You're going to let us test you every three days so that we can be sure that you're not using and we're making a mistake.
1: The other thing about that is, is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if it is mental illness, it's the same strategy it doesn't change. And it's because these craft skills are rooted in social principles. And these are the strategies that you even use with someone when you're dealing with uh, mental health as
2: well. Yeah, that is a struggle for people because it feels like it's supposed to be different if it's a mental illness. Yeah. Like somehow you're supposed to be have to step in more and intervene more, which doesn't work because it's kind of like people who don't take their medications. You could have very successful treatment with medication, but if you don't take your medication, then all of the symptoms come back. You know, yes, there are programs that actually monitor people's medication or have people come to your house to make sure you take it. But again, it's with it's based on willingness and cooperation, which is true for all of this. The person has to have some form of buy-in or nothing happens. The reason that it, that I brought up this issue is, Two family members in the group stepped back this week very strongly from their loved one. They just stepped out for a week and took a break. And it was remarkable to see how much happened while they were not engaged and how the person approached them in a different way. And we've been talking about stepping back and removing yourself. But I was thinking the flip side is control. The flip side is I'm going to go in and make something happen. I'm going to go in and take care of business. I'm going to go in and fix this. And I'm really starting to really see the results of not doing that. And so I believe that once we can identify this desire to control everything and make something happen and fix it or prevent it, then by stepping back, you actually take your power and possibly have more of an effect
1: you become empowered and your loved one becomes empowered both of you do yes also kind of kind of combining the two with what dominique said helping families sit through the pain is key oh this is the pain that we've been talking about yes and this is why baby stepping it through not being so absolute And also, Kayla, just kind of talking about the control issue and boundaries. Yes. Families will go and they will set down a boundary. And I hear it over and over and over again. They won't follow my boundaries. What do you do? Okay. So here it is. You didn't have control over their behavior is basically what you're telling me. And you wanted to, you set down this boundary because you thought it would have, you have this illusion of some kind of control by doing this. And you don't have that control. You set down the boundary without, without any expectation of your loved one and what their behavior is going to be on the other side. And you still set it down.
3: Lori, you've done such a great job with boundaries because when you say I create a boundary, I create a boundary for me to protect me. I don't create a boundary for you. I create something for me that I want to hold because I care for myself and I don't want to be abused. So I'm going to hold this boundary. You step over my boundary. I'm going to defend my boundary. I'm going to do it with emotional maturity, hopefully, and not a tantrum and, you know, on and on. But if you think your boundary is going to change another person, you're very wrong. What your boundary does is shows you the limits of your control. And really, you control your own environment, your own self. And then the others, you simply do not have 100% control. And a lot of families get this mixed up because they've been at it so long. They're pretty good at controlling. And they know how to push buttons and they know how to maneuver. And But it's not getting their loved one to want to get better or to recover because it's a whole twisted little dance that's going on. When you separate yourself from your loved one, all of a sudden they're outside your boundary, which is a place they've
1: never been before. And it's a place you've never been before when you're holding to the boundary, right? And it makes you uncomfortable because you don't know what the result is going to be. And you've hold it out so much hope that if you set this boundary down, they're going to behave in a particular way. And when they don't, oh no, right? Maybe I shouldn't have set this boundary down. Maybe I should have done this, or maybe that's why I often say, okay, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You're both going to be struggling with this. To me, this the son on the park bench abusing and ramping up that verbal abuse and of the mom tells me that, what the heck are you doing? You usually give in, Oh, so you know what? I got to ramp it up to get you to give in on that boundary. I'm going to ramp it up even more. And then mom is like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe, you know, it's the mental health, right? The mental illness. And it's like, okay, let's see what happens if you hold to the boundary like three times. I wonder if that ramping it up starts getting tamped down because it's not working. It's not getting the result that your loved one originally was able to get. And so I'm actually going to say by setting down the boundary and protecting yourself and continuing to hold to the boundary yourself actually does affect change
2: in the other person. They have to respond differently to you. They have no choice. It's making me think, Lori, that I don't believe in pronouncements. Like, it's like, if you treat me like this, I'm going to do this. You just do it. You just do it. So if somebody is actually being abusive to you by text, you don't respond and you don't look at your phone. And maybe what you do is you spend the day doing other things. And at the end of the day, if you need to, you look at it with somebody who's supportive so that you can process it, but that you completely do not respond. Yep. And also let somebody else read it. And if it's anything new, they could tell you, but if it's just ranting, no need. And this is true with little kids too. If there's a child having a tantrum and you just let them have it, they can't do it for seven days. It just, it plays itself out and it's over. But if you engage with it, you actually heighten it but it's not like i'm not going to talk to you as my mother used to say you can't talk to me that way or i'm not going to talk to you if you talk to me like this because i was a pain in the butt when i was an adolescent but if she had just ignored me then i would feel like mom where are you (laughs) You right
1: i totally i totally agree with you kayla on this i wrote a piece on on boundaries on the allies and recovery website and one of the things that i said in there Some of the best boundaries are the ones that are unspoken, that it's just like, hey, yeah, I got to go, or I'm just going to ignore these texts. I would even say, like you said, give it to another person, another loved one, let them read it and say, is it going to be really painful? If it is, could you delete it out? And that way, you're not getting hurt from the words or the, you don't have to process anything other than sitting around having to process that you know you're changing things
2: let's do the new cool thing look this is how cool i am i'm I'm in the future now which is that you don't actually open it people know when you read their text that's right what happens if you don't open it because leaving somebody unopened apparently is a big issue for folks you see the first line and it says hi how are you if it's something rotten you just don't open it just delete it you can just delete it right out again, we're not first responders. So if they need a first response, then they should be calling 911. You're not 911, or they can call emergency services. So that's the thing that everybody thinks, oh my God, if I don't respond, they're going to die. Something horrible is going to happen. Believe me, if they're on the park bench bleeding, somebody else is going to step in. It's not you. You're, You're off duty. Even if you're a firefighter for 24 hours, you're not working. So you're off duty. And then Have somebody at the end of the day look at it. If it's unnecessary, you erase all of them. You don't even make a pronouncement for yourself. You're like, oh, that's what I did today. Let's see about tomorrow. Let's see how it feels.
1: I want to add another piece just coming from the the family perspective of it. I also think that families deserve a lot of patience when it comes to expecting them to be able to do this. Absolutely. Patience on actually doing it, but also patience on understanding all of this stuff in a way that it makes sense to them. It takes a long time to get this concept down and to really understand it.
2: So I think this is a really good place to end because we're pretty much out of time. So since I'm this summary person, what I would say is that control assumes that you're going to do certain things and there's going to be an outcome that you're happy with because of that control. So there's behavior that you have and the other person is going to respond in a particular way. And what we're putting out there is that you don't ever put out any expectations with consequences that you will not be able to follow up with. Number two is not having expectations is probably just the best way to go anyway. The only person that you could have expectations is any expectations with is yourself. And as Lori just said, to be able to have this overriding belief that change requires compassion time, patience, and change is not an easy process, and that we are having a parallel process to our loved ones. So to have an expectation that something is going to happen quickly, either with ourselves changing or with them changing is unrealistic. But we want to stay in the process of noticing our our own behavior, noticing how the tiny little changes affect the other person, and being able to provide the sense of like accomplishment for every little minute change that we make, because that's what we want to model for our loved ones.
1: And I'm hoping we can just end this podcast today with one phrase that just lit a light bulb for me that Dominique said, and that maybe our listeners should get a pen and a piece of paper and write this down and kind of walk around saying it to yourself for the rest of your life, maybe. And you said boundaries are our limits of control of our control and i was like oh oh my gosh that's it that's it in a nutshell
3: and what's outside the boundary is not in your control that's the environment that's the institutions that's the criminal justice system you know there's so much out there that is outside your control your relationship with your loved one is key. And that's what you want to work on in a relational way, not in a controlling way. And it's a a good shorthand. I used to say, take yourself out of the equation. What would the environment do to your loved one? Would the environment be there picking him off the park bench? And, you know, what is the environment going to do? And that's basically what happens when you're not in the formula. And that's important for you to understand because you're the making the difference here with craft. You're the reason your loved one has a better chance to get into treatment is because we're teaching you some skills to work with your loved one. We're not teaching you skills to work with the criminal justice system because it's outside our control. I mean, we have some experience and anecdotally, but it's outside our control. So that's Thank you. I'm glad I said something that resounded for you.
1: It did. It did. Well, thank you, ladies. And uh, we'll be back next week. For all our listeners, if you have a moment, go over to www.alliesinrecovery.net and uh, take out a membership. Thank you. Bye, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you.